0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Philippians chapter 1 and verse six the title of today's message is complete confidence and let me just ask you the question bluntly what do you have total surety in total confidence guarantee i can guarantee you that fill in the blank what is the guarantee that's often said right taxes and death right that's often what it said that now that sounds like a wonderful sermon right we would gather today for what are we guaranteed let's talk about taxes and no that does not sound like a message of unbreakable joy and so paul writing from prison he's the one that can write and no one can say to him but you don't know what i'm going through he lost everything he lost his health uh, they believe he lost his eyesight, uh, even in the, in the letters, you know, it says that there, Paul wasn't much to look at, so he had a radio, you know, the radio face, uh, which is, you know, thank the Lord, our camera, I think, is back up and working again. Last week, we were watching online, and we got the uh, audio and just the, the visual, but we didn't have the, the video camera or missing the face. Well, they say that's what Paul had. Just you know, just listen to his voice and close your eyes, because he, his face had been beaten, his face had been wrecked. Why? Not because of doing wrong. Because of he he, he wouldn't re- relent from the name of Jesus, that Jesus Christ alone, Jesus of Nazareth, he alone saves sinners from their worst condition. So he writes, filled with joy. He's locked up, but you cannot lock up the praises of God from this man. Oh, that we will capture this, that his joy, the joy of the Lord would capture us. So in verse 6, he writes, he says this, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want to read this again. And I am sure of this, I'm persuaded of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Listen, Paul was thankful. We're still in the the whole section of him praising God and thanking God. And when he closed his eyes and he thought about these people in Philippi, he thought about them, he loved them, And he's praising God for them. What is the great assurance then given to every genuine believer? Every person who's been born of God, they're given assurance where they can take Paul's writing to the Philippians and they can say, this is mine. This can be said about me. I can say this, that I am sure of this. I can have this confidence i can have this guarantee number one god initiates our salvation god is the one who initiates our salvation that we have been and here is this word this term justified by his grace This is the work of salvation where God takes a sinner and he clothes him in the righteousness of Christ and declares him just as if he had never sinned, justified. And it's even more than that. Just as if I have always perfectly obeyed because when he looks on me, he doesn't see me clothed in my insufficient self-righteousness. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This can be said by every person who is truly born again, has repented of their sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the person who has admitted to God, I am a sinner deserving of your wrath and your punishment. But that fell on Jesus. And so I take refuge in Jesus. I find my shelter in the shadow of the cross John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, God in flesh, is saying that God is the one who initiates our salvation. And I know we're going to unpack what is often debated in Bible studies and different sides of God's sovereignty and election or human choice and, and free will. But I want you to keep in mind, if you're writing to someone a message of joy when they are facing the greatest trials, why would you then choose what the church has been often debating for 2,000 years and throw that into a powder keg, unless it's rooted and grounded in the divine, sovereign grace of God. And those people who have lost everything can say, but we are held. It's not me holding, it's I am held. I am called, I am held, and so my salvation does not rest upon me and the strength of my arm. This is the message of the entire Bible. Jesus says in John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In this one verse, we have the sovereignty of God in salvation. All the Father gives me. He's sovereign in salvation. And so then some would say, well, then if if, if the Father is the one who is in responsible, then why would we ever share the gospel? why would we ever go tell anybody anything? If God just does it, then, you know, let's just sit back and he'll save whomever he will save. And what is our part? And then Jesus says the complete other perspective, which is human responsibility. And by the way, if you don't sit there wondering, am I chosen? Am I called? I wonder if he's called me. Jesus says, come to me. And if you come to me, I will not say, nope, you're not called. Get away from me. So how do I know that I've been called? And if you are in Christ, how do you know that you've been called? Because I came to him. I responded to him. He chased me down. He used people to bring the gospel into my life, and I responded, and he is the one who saved me. Loved ones, the giver of salvation is God. And you can separate all of the religions on planet Earth under two categories. One is human achievement, and the other is divine accomplishment. You can take every religion on earth, and they really fall in two categories. God saves sinners, or sinners are working in whatever a myriad of ways to earn, to merit, to wipe away sin, to make amends for what is wrong. And they fashion that in so many different ways, making up ways of you'll live once and then you'll come back and try again, reincarnation, all the different ways. Do these things, don't eat these foods, uh, feast on these days, fast on those days. These are all the things we keep. and all the, That's all human achievement. It's all trying to take our own righteousness and make them acceptable. But Isaiah 64 says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best we can do is not good enough to match and measure up to the holiness of God. So the giver of salvation is God. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. Romans 5, 8, Paul, the apostle, he writes, but God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us. The point of the scripture is he did not wait for us, you know, to, to move a muscle and come to him. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll take you up the rest of the way. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's the one reaching to us. He's the one chasing us down. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Okay, so that, that's language for they received the message the message changed them. It's the seed that went in the ground that is going to spring to life. They, this word was not just confusing to them. It wasn't a nothing to them. It wasn't, well, we'll see about that later. It took root in their heart. They began glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, God is sovereign in salvation. This is what gives a believer confidence to share the gospel is that we share the gospel and if anybody rejects us, they're not rejecting us. We're faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord and people then have the responsibility. You've heard the message. How will you respond to the message? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I want you to go with me just back to the letter before Philippians, Ephesians, Ephesians. All right, Ephesians chapter one. As Paul is, again, another letter of praise and blessing. In Ephesians chapter one, he is blessing the Lord. He's praising God for his salvation. Okay, Paul is another example. When he was Saul of Tarsus, he's an example of someone who who was self-righteous, religious, and he was lost. And he wasn't searching after God. He, he wasn't admitting that he was wrong. The Lord Jesus came searching for him. Changed his life. Here we see of sovereign grace when he writes to the Ephesians. I'll begin in verse 3 and he says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You think we have any reason to sing? I mean, he's not holding back. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Okay, so what can you do to get an inheritance? You can't buy it, and you can't earn it. That's a significant word for salvation uh, in Scripture. It's an inheritance you must be adopted in. You must be brought into the family. It's not your own doing. It's the Father adopted it. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We just sang that. That's Romans eight twenty eight in a different way. He works all things, all the good, all the bad, all the ups, all the downs. He's the only one who can. And Satan only tries to get people to doubt this God and dismiss our own wrongdoing. Just deny that, ignore that, dismiss that. Verse thirteen. Now well, maybe I should read verse twelve so that we who were in the first were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Okay, so now the reason we're re- reading this lengthy section is because Paul has just gone through this praise. Now he's reminding the Ephesian believers, how did you come into this inheritance? How did you come into this great salvation? And for the person who thinks I'm not good enough, I don't know enough about the Bible, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not like, uh, I'm sure all the other people around me, they have the, you know their act all together, wrong. Okay, no. No, the only thing good about us is Jesus. And so he says, and he's reminding them, all he prays to the Lord, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's just a snippet out of one letter of Paul absolutely enthralled with the goodness and the grace and the sovereign mercy and grace of God to save sinners. There's not one bit of praise in here for the Ephesians of anything that they did. It's just a simple acknowledgement. God did it, and you responded with belief. This, I receive it. If you give gifts this Christmas and attach to that gift, is now you owe me, you misunderstand the point of giving a gift. (laughs) Now I gave you a gift, what did you give me? It's misrepresenting. Listen to what John MacArthur says, I find this helpful. Before the world began, God predetermined to set his love upon you and foreordained your salvation. In time, he moved into your heart and called you away from your sin. He made you right with himself through Jesus Christ and he destined you for glory. That is the great basis of your eternal security. That's the unbreakable chain. The chain of redemption that comes from his book that was helpful to me saved without a doubt struggling with assurance of salvation. In John 3:16 God is the giver of this salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that divides everybody on planet Earth, those who have believed and those who have not yet believed. Eternal life and eternal separation in that one word, to perish. Loved ones, the giver of our salvation is God. But then, as we see in Paul's example, and it's true for us, let her be the good news of salvation must be shared. We want to tell others about Jesus. We don't keep this to ourselves. We tell others about who he is and what he has done for us. The first disciples were commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel, and they did. That's why we're here 2,000 years later, because generations have been faithful to share the gospel. Acts 1.8, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that word became associated with martyrdom, martus, to be martyred. Why? Because you told people about Jesus, even when it cost you your life. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's starting at home, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's why we have mission partners. That's why we give. That's why we care about what is happening around the world. Is because Jesus told us to care and to do something about it. Tell them, Acts 16 verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Do you remember this? This is how the gospel came to Philippi. That is, they were sharing the good news. They didn't just stay in one place, they didn't say, We've done enough. They said, No, we haven't. Let's go to Philippi. So the Great Commission, they were obedient. Paul was obedient but it's still for, it's for us as well today. From the Lord Jesus, this commission still rests upon me, and if you are in Christ, it rests upon you. If you are not yet in Christ, this is why you're hearing this message today. Paul wrote in the Romans, in Romans 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Can I ask you the question? Have you, have you called on the name of the Lord? What does that mean? Have you admitted your sin to the Lord? Have you asked him? Have you invited him? You come take over. You be king of my life. I'm not a good king. I'm not a good God, and I'm not a good king. I need someone else. How about the one who made me and who lived and died for me and rose again? So then he asked the question, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they here to hear without someone preaching? And that's not just the preacher. That's everyone in Christ proclaiming the message. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? What has he heard what he has heard from us? Now listen to this verse. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of God. How does someone come to faith? It's by the word of God being read, being proclaimed. That's how the seed is being sown. It's being spread, it's being cast, that the good news of salvation is to be shared and we we cannot make that bear fruit in anyone's life, but we're to share the message. Church, can I ask you the question, are you part of the faithfulness? Are you sharing this message, this word of Christ? How will people ever come to faith in Christ if we are not sharing this message? We're invited and we're commissioned. It's still true for us. Share the good news. Don't hide the good news. Share the good news. Who is Jesus and what has he done for you? People may not believe you. They may laugh. They may ignore it's okay. Don't give up. The grace of salvation then must be received. This is the process. This is what Paul did in Philippi. This is what has been done. The message is shared. The message must be received. The grace of this salvation must be received, and all glory is always to the giver. No one ever commends a, receiver, a recipient of a gift you did such a great job receiving that gift. No. Did you see what they gave to that? I can't believe that. Aren't those, aren't those the stories that move us? When, when someone sees someone in need and they, they come in and they meet that need. They respond and they meet the need. They're able and they're willing. So how did the Philippians respond how do people respond to this message of christ in the first century first thessalonians 1 6 paul reminds the thessalonian believers how they came to faith in christ and he says and you became imitators of us and of our lord that's discipleship for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the holy spirit do you see the recipe in that verse You see all that's going on in that one verse? Discipleship, you followed us, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, more importantly. For you received the word in much affliction. It's not like the message on TV. You got problems, come to Jesus. You got difficulties, come to Jesus. Your money's short, health not good, come to Jesus and he'll smooth it all out for you. That's not in the Bible and it's not real life. It's an error. It's a lie. It's false teaching. Here's the truth. There was affliction, but you know what happened in that affliction? Much joy of the Holy Spirit, because you believe the truth. And then Paul thanked the Lord for these Thessalonian believers, chapter 2, verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Do you hear that? Do you wonder why we spend so much time reading scripture and so little time telling stories? Because stories are, are the word of men, maybe helpful, maybe distracting. But the word of God, that's where faith comes. And those those people in, Th- in Thessalonica, they heard, Thessalonica, they heard and they received the word and they said, this isn't just... This wasn't just come up with in a brainstorming room. This is the word of God, and they, received it, they responded to it accordingly. How have you responded to this word? The half-brother of Jesus writes in James 1.21, he says, therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's a clearing, there's a preparing if you've ever gone camping, you need to prepare where you put that tent down, especially if you have no padding to put on the ground. Because if you just put the tent down, you're like, I don't know, it looked good. And then you put your sleeping bag out, for sure you're sleeping on something you didn't see. And all night, it's jabbing you in the back because you didn't prepare. This is what James is saying. You need to prepare your heart. You need to prepare your mind. You need to prepare your life and receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now back to Acts 16. Paul, giving the recount of how the gospel came to Philippi, to whom he's writing Philippians to, Acts 16, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You hear that? The Lord opened her heart. And after she was baptized, you you see that? That's the response of someone who's come to faith in Christ is they say, now what do I do? They stop playing, let's make a deal with God. They become imitators, not of men, mere, just mere men, but they say, what did the Lord teach you? And how do I respond and how do I imitate you? And I need to get into fellowship with you so that I can learn, how does my life become more like Jesus Christ? And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. No, seriously, you're coming to my house to stay. (laughs) She prevailed upon us. You're not gonna stay anywhere else. This is a changed woman. She's responding in gratitude for the message they brought to him to her, and to her loved ones. Can I ask you the question this morning, how have you responded to the message of grace? You realize there are always three responses. When the message of salvation is given, there are always three responses. Some people refuse to believe. They sit there like this. Nah, not for me. I don't need Jesus as some crutch. Do you know who I am? Do you know what what I've done? Do you know what I have in my bank account, on my resume, in my portfolio? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done the other. No, not for me. Maybe some other pitiful person around me will hear this message, and good for them if it helps them. Some refuse to believe. Some procrastinate. They may even sit in this room week after week after week and say, "You know, maybe someday, someday, I I, need—I'll get reconciled to God. Someday, I'll—you know—sign the line. Someday, I'll make that commitment, but not today. Not today. Maybe not this year. Maybe not—maybe next year. I remember hearing the testimony of someone. They said they, they had that approach to life. They knew the message. And they said they, their testimony was, "I proclaim, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to make my money, and then when I'm getting closer, you know, to my later years, then I'll do right with God." And they were in their work van, and they got broadsided in an intersection. Someone ran, and they said, the, "You know what was coming out of my mouth was blasphemy. Every, every, just." filthy blasphemous taking the name of god in vain and i almost died right there and that was how i almost went into eternity and they woke up out of a coma afterward and they realized the lord has been merciful to me and i'll give him my life now that was close do you realize this is this is all of humanity is over the precipice of eternity every moment, and it's the gracious hand of the Lord that keeps us and has given you another opportunity to believe today if you never have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some believe. When Paul went to Athens, and he was out in a place of debate, it was kind of, you know, the the interacting, the the cultural center, just hearing all different types of opinions and religions and teachings. And so Paul went to them and he shared in Acts 17, verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, so Paul introduced Jesus to them. Some mocked. Okay, that's one of the response. Whatever. Me, surrender my life to some Nazarene Jew? who died on a cross and was buried and rose again? Are you kidding me? Some mocked. But others said, they procrastinated, we'll hear you again about this. Hey, when are you coming back through town? You know, sign me up on your newsletter, Paul. I'll think about this some other time, but I'm too busy today. I'm too busy this week. I'm too busy this year. I might be too busy this lifetime but that's an interesting message you have, Paul. Thanks for sharing that. Bravo. Never heard that before. It's very interesting. Verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but here's the hope of the gospel, verse 34. But some men joined with him and believed and then in named some. He shared the message and some people mocked, and some people procrastinated, but some believed. You realize we're sitting here today, and that, that separates this room and the audience of those joining online. Some mock this message. Maybe not outright, maybe not laughing, it, but they say, you know, not for me. This is a silly message. You know, good for my family member. I'm glad it helps them, but not for me. Some people say, you know what, I'm going I'm to come back. I'm going to listen to that message again next week, as if you can guarantee, if you can be persuaded that you and I will have next week, or tomorrow for that matter, or this evening. But some believed. Some believed, and some will believe. So number two, God continues our transformation. He initiates our salvation And this is how we are justified. This is how we're declared righteous, not by our works, but by his grace. And then God continues our transformation. And this is where we see that we're being sanctified. We're being set apart. So we have been sanctified and we are being sanctified by his His grace. There's a continuation here. We sing the song, You Never Stop Working. You never stop working. You're doing all things together for my good and for your glory. You never stop working. The Lord does not quit, He does not get tired, He does not give up. This is what Paul is saying in this prayer. And I am sure of this that He who began a good work in you, He will bring it to completion. You never stop working. Every single Christian has been given new life. Every single child of God. Not a better life. Not an improved life. A new life. That's what religion will try to do. Give you improved life. Enlighten you. You know, education, more knowledge, more information. No, We, you know, it's been said, we didn't need a teacher. We needed a Savior. He came to save us. He came to rescue us, to give us life that is new life, that we're born from above. This is what it is to experience the new birth. This is where we see even the difference when Jesus talked about the wise man built his house upon a rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when I was growing up, I thought, Oh, well, I'm the wise person. First of all, that's my name, you know, the wise man. Of course, I'm building on the rock, you know. And over here is the foolish person, and they're sinful, and they're wicked, and you can see the obvious difference. No, that's not what it is. Jesus is saying there's two builders, and it looks like they're building a similar life. They're trying to do what's right, They're trying to be faithful in all their endeavors. They're trying to please the Lord, but the foundation is on radically different foundations. One is built on, I can't do enough. I can't save myself. I came to Christ and he forgave and rescued and redeemed me and made me his child. He adopted me into his family and I've been forgiven and I've been justified. That's a hard truth because it means you have to take your resume and burn it. But guess what's also on my resume? All my sin. Light it up. Burn it. Okay? Because the praise is to the Lord. But over here, Jesus says there's another builder, and he's building a religious life. He's building a life that looks admirable to the people who live around him. But his foundation is on, well, what I think, well, what I believe, well, in our culture, and it shifts and it change changes all the time. And well, you know that you can't really—that's not acceptable in the culture today. So, what I believe, and it constantly, people air out over and over. Even religious people, often religious people, trained people, and they write articles and they publish books and they reveal they're building on a on a sand foundation, a sa- a foundation of sand that quickly is easy. You can, you can build quickly on that. You can get a little plastic shovel and put your house on that foundation. You know, a little toy rakes you get at the beach? You can, you can build a house there until you get the first storm. And then it's all washed away, and Jesus says that's what judgment is going to reveal ultimately. Who built their life on Christ, the hard truth, the gospel, die to you, and that's where you'll have life that never ends. You can't have both. That, the, that old saying, in dying, we are born to eternal life. That's that new birth. This is what Jesus told you know, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He wasn't just an Israelite. He was the guy. He was the teacher of Israel. John 3, 3, Jesus answered him. This is Nicodemus. truly. Truly, I say to you, okay, all confidence here, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he was the teacher. He was as religious as you can get in Israel. And Jesus didn't say, yeah, that's good enough. He said, you have to be born again. Every Christian has been given new life to be born again. I, I, I've shared with you before, sitting in, in town, gymnastics, I think Emma was about that big in gymnastics, and the lady scoots over next to me. Her whole family steeped in religion, and she says, I just read John 3.3. 3. What does it mean to be born again? And I was rejoicing on one hand and sorrowful on the other, that here this lady, her great-grandparents, her grandparents, her parents, she and her husband and her children have all been through everything that their religious organization had to offer, and she just missed this verse. And what what does that mean? If you miss this verse, if you miss the new birth, you can be religious and religious and religious, and if you have not been born again, Jesus says you will not see the kingdom of God because you can't get there on your own. Every Christian then who's been given new life, every Christian will exhibit signs of new life. Signs of new life. There will be evidence that there's new life in them. Now, you know, all around us, great job decorating. You know, we see the evergreens, you know. But here's the deal, you don't need to water them. They're dead, they're fake. They're not gonna grow. You know, we put these things back, back in the bin every year. They don't, next year we pull them out. It's not like they got longer. Like, wow, that's amazing. No, they're like everything else. They burn out and break. And you get that frustration of it's, it's that time of year to find out how few of your lights work that you just mortgaged your house for the year before. And you're like, forget it. I'm not putting up any lights. Okay, these, these things are not real. There's not going to be any fruit come from them. They're not going to change. They're just going to stay and they'll fade with the sunlight. There's no life in them. But if there's life, when there's life, there will be signs of life. There will be evidence of new life. One sign of life will be followers of Christ will love and obey the word of God. That is a sign of there's something going on here. There's new life here because I used to think the word of God was that was great. I mean, that's an interesting book. I didn't really understand it too much, but now I love the Word of God. I love to sit under the Word of God. Imagine this. I actually take time through the week to get into the Word of God because it feeds my soul. I just don't wait for it to be fed to me by the guy up there on Sunday because I love the Word of God and I want to memorize the Word of God. I want to obey the Word of God. So it now has a chief place, a chief role in my life. The Apostle John wrote about this, 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a... Now, John, he was real soft. He peddled, you know, real diplomatic guy. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says... He abides in him, ought also to walk in the same way in which he walked. They love the word. Jesus is the word. You can't separate Jesus, the word, main flesh, from the word of God. So someone who has new life in them, they have a hunger and thirst for the word of God. Do you have a hunger and thirst for the word of God? Do you love the word of God? Do you long to obey the word of God? Or in your mind, is it optional? I'll do everything else in my day. And if I have time, I'll squeeze in a verse of the day at the end of the day. Let the Holy Spirit really help you evaluate that. Secondly, followers of Christ, this sign of new life, they'll resist and strive against sin. And let me tell you, loved ones, it's not just everybody else's sin. (laughs) Okay, that usually is a hypocrite. Oh, the world, you know, the world is... Let's... Fight against sin. Yeah, how you doing with your own temper? Lust. Self-centeredness. Greed. Covetousness. Laziness. Oh, it's easy for us to identify everybody else's sin. But we strive against sin. We start here, and we fight, and we resist 1 John 3, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. A practice of habitual sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And he just threw that one in for free. I just won't forgive them. Yeah? How does the love of God dwell in you? He's not saying that a Christian never sins again. He's saying the trajectory of their life is not habitual sin, unrepentant sin. They are striving against, they are fighting against sin. John MacArthur says it this way. I find it helpful. He says, If you practice righteousness, you're of God. If you don't, you're not. Plain and simple if you see victory over sin in your life, if you see righteous motives, righteous desires, righteous words, righteous deeds, and if you're not all you want to be, but certainly not what you used to be, he stole that from uh, John Newton, then you have eternal life, so enjoy it. Followers of Christ will resist and strive against sin. I think one area that I struggle with, I came to faith young as a child. My mom, she led me to faith in Christ. I was young, I was little. All the different stories I was hearing at church, different scriptures at home, convicted me of my own sin. But as I grew, I struggled with, did I say the right words? Did I have all the understanding that I should have had? Was I really old enough to come to faith in Christ at age three? Baptized at age four? Then go to a youth camp where you get some high-pressured speaker. If you've ever doubted your salvation, then you are lost and you need to get saved. Oh, Oh, no in my bunk in the camp you know lord it's me is this on you know hello uh if i didn't know if i was confused if i what you know whatever that guy scared me so here i am and if i didn't say it the right way or wasn't fully you know whatever here i am take me now go home get re-baptized all this confusion, and then end up with some of the similar struggles after that. Like, wait a second. And then something like this is helpful to me saying, wait a second. When I struggle with sin, that's not a sign of a lack of salvation. That's a sign of God is working at me and God even uses my sin now as a believer to when I confess and forsake that sin, I hate my sin more. Oh, so he's working all things for my good, right? For your glory, for my good. Even my own sin that I hate. And when I get honest about it, it makes me love him more. And it makes my sin, and that's a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in me. I shouldn't, that doesn't shake my salvation assurance. That actually gives me the assurance that I need, that I'm not okay to just live in sin and tell everybody, leave me alone. That is a lifestyle of sin. Thirdly, followers of Christ will love the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ... They'll be hugging everybody. They'll serve. They'll pray. They'll care for one another. They'll worship together. Gathering for worship isn't well if we get around to it. You know, got a lot of events. Christmas season is busy. Oh, the athletic season is busy. Oh, well, my career is busy. All of these things that we can feel. You know, I'm just busy. And if we work it in, no, they love the church. And it takes a priority in life. And they gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we go through the good times and we go through the the hard times. We go through the times when it's all going well and we go through the times when we're struggling with our own sinfulness and stubbornness and even different personalities. and We love one another. 1 John 3, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This apostle, who used to be just a loud mouth, became known as the apostle of love. As an old man, it's said in church tradition, they would carry him in on a stretcher, an old grandfather, and he was whispering to his dying day, my little children, it is enough if we love one another. Remember me for the love that changed me and pass that on. Love one another. Followers of Christ, number four, will progress in discipleship. This is their growth and development in Christ holiness. There will be progress, there will be stability where there used to be weakness. They will grow up in the faith. They will become stronger and stronger and stronger in the fellowship as they abide in Christ and in the body of believers, Ephesians 4. Paul says, we've read this many times. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. The shepherds and teachers, pastors and teachers, why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You, you see that progress, that growing up to the measure. Where are we going? To the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we all look like that, then I'm done. Then I have no more job description. And You can be like, hey, bon voyage, pastor. Go find somewhere else. We have reached the measure, the full measure of the fullness of Christ. We're not there yet. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to, here it is, underline it, highlight it, memorize it, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Followers of Christ will progress in discipleship. They will grow up. They will develop. They will put themselves into the places, small group, gatherings, Worship, walking together, working together, saying, I want to grow up and I want to encourage someone else and I want to be encouraged by others. I need that. Followers of Christ, another sign, this isn't all of them by any means, will love and long for Christ's return. We will anticipate the return of Christ. We will keep this at the forefront of our lives. And you know what? We easily forget this. And so we need one another to help us and remind us Jesus will return. Don't forget that. As we're making our, you know, all of our, you know, wish lists and shopping lists and plans and to do and, you know, we'll get around to some new year plans and resolutions. Hey, hey let's not forget Jesus, will return. That ought to be the overarching thought throughout our day from the beginning to end. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, henceforth, and this is some of his Last words before he would have his head chopped off. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Oh, look at that. Paul gets an award because he's an apostle. Oh, wait, he wasn't done. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You're the invitation there, not bragging. You're the invitation that Paul lived in light of his return. So God continues our transformation. Thanks the Lord for that. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. And he doesn't say, oh, wise is a never-ending project. I quit. Loser. <laughs> hey, he wouldn't even have to lie. He just make it, you know, just the accuser of the brethren can just tell the truth about me and he's got me except I'm in Christ, and Jesus says paid it, paid, 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 paid in full, paid for that one, paid for that one, all of a sin, paid for. That's not a free card, that I just go do whatever I want then? That's, that's a love that changes me from the inside out. I, I don't want to offend the one who died and rose again for me. So number three, God guarantees our completion. And we will be, and here's, here's this million dollar word here, maybe billion dollar, a trillion dollar, we're in in the trillions now, all right? Glorified, glorified. This is the consummation of the entire process that Christ was the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith. It's going somewhere and he's guaranteeing this. Philippians 1, 6. and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's gonna finish what he started. God will finish what he started. He's not gonna get tired. There's nothing in my life or your life that will surprise him. God will finish what he started. And all God's people said, amen, because don't, don't you get tired? I do. Here's projects around the house. They're not finished yet. I've finished some of them, but there are more projects. There's always projects around a house. Finish what you start. God will finish what he started. This is the unbreakable golden chain of Redemption. There's great confidence for the completion of every genuine believer. This is the doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints or also known as the preservation of the saints. Romans 8. You're familiar with this. Stephen walked us through this recently. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, this is where the work began, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That process beginning to end is Philippians 1.6. When he began the good work in you, it's a guarantee he'll finish that good work, and we get to enjoy that process, and we are engaged in that process. Now, I found this helpful from R.C. Sproul he said this about this doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. He said, I think this little catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is dangerously misleading. It suggests that the perseverance is something that we do, perhaps in and of ourselves. I believe that saints do persevere in faith and that those who have been effectually called by God and have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end. However... They persevere not because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give why any of us continue on in the faith is because we have been preserved. So I prefer the term preservation of the saints because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere. (laughs) Let me read that again. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere. My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with His grace, and by the power of His intercession, He is going to, Philippians 1.6, Bring us safely home. Amen? ( transferring) (laughs) Amen. All right, we're gonna clap. Let's do it right. (AUDIO) J.A. Muttier, he says it this way. The the perseverance of the saints rests on the the perseverance of God with the saints. The preservation, the perseverance, I keep saying it backwards now. (laughs) The perseverance of the saints rests on the perseverance of God with the saints. He puts up with us. And he carries us like a parent holding the hand of the child, which is not like a 50-50 hold. It's the 100-0 hold. (laughs) I got you. No, let me go. (laughs) No, you can't get out. This is is what gives the confidence to the believer who's losing everything, health, loved ones, freedom, liberties. And it's all being taken by a corrupt government, by officials who cause riots. It's why Paul is in prison, but he's held, he's kept, he's guarded, he's preserved. Now, this also offers an explanation for those who fall away, for those who turn aside from the faith that when time moves on or trials come in or temptation ultimately reveals a lack of genuine faith and someone that used to worship with us and they took a left turn, where are they now? What happened to them if God perseveres all the saints? If he preserves all the saints, then what happened to that person that used to be a preacher, that used to be a teacher, that used to be a worship leader, and now they've embraced everything in our culture that's woke? What happened to them? Well, the scripture answers that. The same apostle of love, he has an answer of of truth from the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.19, he says it this way. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, truly born again, they would have persevered. They would have continued with us, but they didn't persevere. They went out. They left. They went apostate. They turned aside. They embraced everything that's a foundation of sand. They went out. Why? That it might become plain that they are all not of us. That even in the 12, John would remember, one was not of us. He loved himself. He loved this earth. He loved riches. He didn't love Jesus. And his name was Judas. And in time they saw. Loved one's God's work of grace. He will finish what he started. And his work of grace will be revealed at the day of Christ. This day is coming. It's not the coming day of judgment that Paul is referring to here. But it's the next event on the church's calendar. Christ returned for his own. God's work of grace will be revealed at the day of Christ. Can I ask you this question? Are you ready to meet Christ? Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, he said, this is why I suffer as I do. But hey, Timothy, listen to me. Hey, you younger, you younger man. Hey, young man, I'm about to hand you this baton. I'm about to be taken from this planet, I'm about to die, and you're going to have to stand in my place. He says, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Do you hear almost the same as what we read in John 6, right there in Paul? Well, wait a second, Paul. Are you saying that you believe then? You started this whole chain. It's it's your free will that brought you into this then. That's what you're saying, Paul? For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I am persuaded, I'm fully confident and sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have believed. No, wait a second, he didn't say that. What has been entrusted to me? All the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. This is the same thing from the Apostle Paul, absolutely convinced of God's sovereignty and salvation and absolutely convinced that he had to surrender his life to Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus because that's the only way that you are ready for his return? How will you respond to this message what are you fully convinced of this morning? What are you totally confident in? Are you totally confident in the work that God has begun in you? Has this work begun in you? Or maybe this work begins today as you respond to him by saying, have mercy on me. I need to be saved. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Come in and take over me. Here I am. All the sin, all the shame, all the good, all the bad, all of it, I give you me. And you know what he gives to you? Himself and the righteousness of Christ. He initiates our salvation. He continues the transformation and praise the Lord. He guarantees our completion. He will not give up. He will not give up. He will finish what he has started. So have you given him you? That's the question. Have you surrendered you, your heart, your life, your plans, your future to Christ? If not, today is the day of salvation. Respond now, even as we stand together and we worship the Lord and respond. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your great gift of salvation. Thank you for Christ. And we celebrate, especially at this time of year, our Savior coming to this earth, being born of a virgin, living a life that we could never live, sinless, pure, spotless, and being forsaken, and being betrayed. You, Lord Jesus, laid down your life. You were crucified, you were buried, and you rose again from the dead, and you will give life to every single person who turns from their sin and trusts in you. And I pray that today is the salvation for someone today that they would respond and say, here I am, Lord. I'm a sinner, save me. And Lord, may we who have been born again, may we rejoice that the work that you have started in us, you will never quit, you will never give up on, you will finish that good work of grace. We praise you and we thank you from today until forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at mygracechurch. Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.